Master, do what Iron Bar says. I, I, I will. I will. Yeah, I will. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where we pull things up from the pigsties of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we are talking about Minute 43, which begins with Auntie's guards hoisting Master up and out of the pigs, and it ends with Sally Ann emerging from a pipe and running off into the night. Our week begins, and an interesting week that it's going to prove to be, with Auntie standing by as her guard pulls Master up from the pig pit by the rope that he's tied to. This whole situation is so incredibly demeaning. (laughs) That's a good word for it. (laughs) It only gets worse from here. Like, you think he's been brought low, but in this minute, he just gets brought lower. Yeah. I was thinking about this situation because as he's pulled up, he's got just a rope tied around his chest and up under his arms. And that type of getup, A, not very comfortable, B, probably not as supportive and helpful as it could be, and C, like you said, is just plain demeaning because he's strung up like a marionette puppet. He really is. And the way the rope is tied is... It's certainly not for his own safety. Mm -hmm. There are ways that you tie people up that's dangerous, that harms their blood flow and harms their joints. So this was not done as a proper harness. Right. A rope was flung around his chest. It makes me wonder if Master has got to the point where he's been sufficiently humbled enough to change the way he interacts with people, or if he's just the same old Master just taking a couple of lumps on the chin right biding his time Mm -hmm. i think we'll know the answer to that question by the end of the movie yeah i'm very much looking forward to analyzing master specifically after we've seen this journey that he's gone on to see how he finishes up the film Mm -hmm. and to see if i can find some sympathy for him well we're gonna see a lot of him during the final chase of this movie Mm -hmm. so there's that he doesn't play a huge role But it will be interesting to see how he interacts with the waiting ones because those worlds are going to collide. Yes. Yeah. Every time I've watched this movie, I've never really paid too much attention to Master. So this will be a different exercise for me, for sure. Mm -hmm. So as Master is lifted up out of the pit and swung over into Auntie's face, (laughs) she looks at him and says, Master, do what Iron Bar says. And Master just says, yeah, I will. I will. Yeah. Yes, of course. I love that this is not a question. She doesn't say, will you do what Iron Bar says? Now that you have tasted the consequences, will you now behave? She doesn't say it that way. She just says, do what Iron Bar says. It is a command Mm -hmm. with the assumption that he is going to comply. The power dynamic could not be more different, which is kind of a shame because Andy has been on the other side of their power dynamic has been publicly shamed by Master. And she's turning around and doing the exact same thing to him, having not learned any lessons about the consequences of treating people this way. I feel like Auntie could be doing more 
to publicly shame Master. Yes, he had that incident in the dome where Blaster was killed in front of him and he was openly weeping in front of everybody and whatnot, but at least Auntie is keeping Master confined to Underworld in a worker position. It's not like she's dragging him through the streets of Barter Town telling everyone to look at the funny little man who used to ride piggyback and now he's all on his lonesome. I feel like she could go harder on being vindictive. So I understand what you're saying. Like she's giving him a really hard time. I just feel like if she really wanted to, she could do a little bit more. I agree. She could do more. What she's doing is she's humiliating him in front of his community. Right. The people that he works around. Yes. <laughs> We're assuming that they're still there. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be nearly as many people hanging around doing things as before. So they probably hid and ran away at the first sign of trouble because if their allegiance was to Master Blaster and now all of a sudden he's on the outs, then that makes their safety and security up for debate they saw a regime change and they decided it was a good time to leave yes so she's continuing to show people that may have previously been loyal to him this is what he is now mm -hmm. do not be loyal to him any longer <laughs> so auntie tells master obviously do what iron bar says and as auntie walks away we get another shot of iron bar and I wouldn't say that his expression stands out to me. It just looks to me like Iron Bar is feeling vindicated. In the last minute, he was kind of throwing some attitude around. Oh, yeah. There was some definite like eye rolling and stuff like that going on. So, yeah, I agree. I think he feels vindicated. Yes, Auntie came in and stopped what he was doing. But then in stopping what he was doing, she also solidified his position of authority yeah. in Underworld. Ironbar is loyal to Auntie. He is staunchly team Auntie. And I don't think he would ever look at this situation where Auntie came in and said exactly what Ironbar just said and now Master is going to listen. I don't think it's one of those situations where he might feel resentful of Master's more or less respect for Auntie. I just think... He's there. He's satisfied that, okay, things are going to happen now. I think Iron Bar is perhaps more power hungry than he has let on. Yeah. He's actually been relatively reserved up till now. Mm -hmm. There has been a few moments where he's thrown his weight around, literally and figuratively, but it's been very much within the limits of his job description as leader of the guard. Running Underworld has nothing to do with being the leader of the guard. This is a whole nother job. Right. So I think he really is power hungry. He's just good at handling it. Mm. I will agree that Iron Bar is looking to improve his station. I see his hunger as more of a minor craving. Like when you say power hungry, I feel like that denotes someone who is voraciously gobbling up power left and right. I look at Iron Bar and I see someone who has an appetite for hunger. Be like, oh, hey, Iron Bar, here's some power here. And be like, oh, cool. That sounds good. I'll, I'll have some of that. You know, maybe I'll have seconds. I don't know. I'm not feeling it right now. It's, he's the kind of guy that will snatch at the opportunity, but won't go to the kitchen and make himself his own sandwich. If someone comes in with a bowl of popcorn, he'll be all over it. But he's not the kind of guy to pick up the phone and be like, hey, I will order pizza for everybody. I think perhaps he falls somewhere in the middle. Because mm -hmm. I do agree with you that he hasn't really gone out of his way to find places that he can exert his power, except for one instance where he shot Blaster. 
That's a good point. That was kind of him going out of his way, doing something very risky that ended up with him having more power. So I, I think that he is somewhere in between casual and voracious. Yeah. It, <laughs> shooting Blaster was a risky maneuver. He made a judgment call and for him it worked out. Yeah. But it very easily could uh, not have. <laughs> which I, I am absolutely amazed and I still cannot believe that he didn't get in any trouble. Mm -hmm. He got rewarded. <laughs> he got his own domain. Which, hey, that's not bad. It's not that no. bad. It's just another one of those things. I'm just starting to come around on Iron Bar. So. <laughs> But Ironbar is not the only person we should focus on this minute because about a third of the way into this minute, we switch our perspectives and we can see that Pig Killer is hanging out in the shadows, but he's not hanging out on his own. He's hanging out with Sally Ann. And the two of them seem to be climbing a large pipe type structure towards a grate in the wall. I thought about this scene a lot, just amazed at Pig Killer's ability to acquire Sally Ann and a water flask and climb up that pipe. And I spent a lot of time thinking about why he could manage this and perhaps how he managed it. And my conclusion was, with a transition of power, nobody's really thinking about proper security. Right. I look at this situation between Pig Killer and Sally Ann, and I see, honestly, the movie is asking a lot from us. As far as leaps in logic, this is definitely not a scene where we're supposed to be thinking too hard about it. <laughs> Absolutely. It comes down a lot, and we're going to see more of this throughout this particular week. It comes down to, we just have to assume that Sally Ann is a drastically above average intelligent macaque. Mm -hmm. She does many, many things that are absolutely unbelievable. And we're just going to have to go with it because mm -hmm. it just isn't plausible right. in any way, shape or form. And outside of the amazing things that Sally Ann is able to do, there's also the question of how does Pig Killer know that this monkey is related in any way to Max? Oh, well, I know the answer to that. When Max saw Blaster carrying Sally Ann by a rope, he started yelling up at Master Blaster and Pig Killer like grabbed him and said, hey, why don't you come help a fella out? So do you come help me work. He was he was pulling him away from from Max getting himself into trouble. So it was the fact that Max was yelling at Blaster and Blaster was holding the monkey and Pig Killer put two and two together. Yes. OK, I and didn't think much of that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it goes both ways. Sally Ann, which we've already decided is a above average intelligent macaque, saw Max and Pig Killer together in a friendly, non-confrontational manner and knows that she can trust Pig Killer, mm. that he is friendly to Max and can help her help Max. Yeah, because Sally Ann is very cooperative in this situation. Pig Killer has tied a water flask around her waist and is climbing up this pipe with her. And she's not fighting him. She's not flailing around or anything like that. She's going up with him willingly. Yeah, they are absolutely cooperative here. And since we see this alliance just now, we don't know how they got to this point. It's entirely believable that they're 
cooperation was mutual. Mm. Like they came to each other and knew that they could use the other one to help this person. Okay, so we've sort of established that Pig Killer's probably not on the ball. Like he's probably lost a few of his marbles, right? Yes, I think so. What if, and this is going to sound utterly ridiculous and people are not going to like it, what if Pig Killer thinks he can talk to animals? And he finds Sally Ann, starts talking to her, thinks that she's talking back, and just in some weird way they can understand each other so that Pig Killer is essentially like the Disney princess of the Mad Max world. (laughs) And so he works it out with Sally Ann. Okay, I'm going to give you water. You need to go find Max, essentially. (laughs) I need you to help him. And Sally Ann will be like, yes, I know Max. I will help him out perfectly fine. Well... There's no evidence in this movie, and especially not in this scene, to refute your idea, so I guess it's plausible. (laughs) I will freely admit it's a dumb idea. I just like the visual of Pig Killer having killed a pig because the pig is, like, depressed or something like that. Maybe the pig has a broken leg and the pig's like, oh, Pig Killer or whatever his name was before. I need you to put me out of my misery. I'm, I'm miserable down here. I just need you to do it. And Pig Killer's like, I will do this. As an honorable thing, I will Kevorkian in you <laughs> for a great justice. And he gets caught by the guards and they don't believe him that, no, no, the pig asked me to kill it. I, okay. <laughs> I mean, honestly, with all that happens in this movie, why not? Yeah, this is kind of another moment where we're reminded this is a different style of movie. Yep. <laughs> One thing that I do appreciate about this shot of them climbing up this giant pipe is that when we see this giant hole in the wall, it's revealed over the course of this minute that it leads outside, and I appreciate that they have some sort of way to get either Noxus fumes out or at least fresh air in to Underworld. Yeah, they would have to or people would be getting sick and dying. That much (laughs) feces just everywhere. And not only that, but all the fires that are burning Mm -hmm. and the conversion process from methane to electricity, those all have byproducts. And if this is the only vent, I'm not sure that's enough. I would certainly hope there's more than just one vent. Yeah, this is the only one we see. When we come back in through a vent, I believe it's this same vent. I think so, yeah. Speaking of coming back through this same vent, we are going to find out later that it is more or less person-sized, but at this point, it only needs to be monkey-sized, because Pig Killer is going to take Sally Ann and put her through the bars of this pipe, and she's going to scurry off. This also made me wonder why Pig Killer or anybody else who realized this was a vent to the outside, which it's probably common knowledge, considering that's where the fresh air comes from, why nobody ever used this to stage an escape. Mm. I think I just answered my own question in my head. Because the lapse in security that is going on right now, it's probably the only time that it's not being watched. It's not in a secluded spot. It's pretty much out in the open yeah on the wall it's very easy to see from that central platform in fact at the very beginning of this shot where pig killer puts sally ann through the bars we can see all the way through to the main platform of the power generator train thing mm-hmm. and you can see a couple of the guards walking around one of them is holding on to master's rope and is more or less helping him walk around taking a lot of the weight off so it's just a matter of master kicking off and moving around that way 
So you think the guards that are currently overseeing Underworld, and more accurately, overseeing Master specifically, aren't the usual Underworld guards. They're more Auntie's guards. Yeah, I think Auntie replaced Blaster with a couple of her guards that are going to keep Master on a literal leash. And I kind of see that as... Ugh. A missed opportunity because we never really get to see a good mobility solution like we did back in Road Warrior. Remember that gimbal that the mechanic would ride on? Yes. He'd get pushed around and raised up and down and moved around and everything like that. The idea of a mobility solution has come up before, and my question is, why does he need a mobility solution? He can walk, and just because his legs are shorter doesn't mean he needs a mobility solution. I see it as... Not so much him not being able to walk. It's just, I think with his specific version of dwarfism, it probably is very tiring for him to move around. I mean, granted, he's old to begin with, so he's probably not moving as fast as he once did when he's not rushing to get to Blaster in the Thunderdome. He's probably not as agile or speedy. He definitely can't reach as high as he needs to. And I feel like in the absence of Blaster, we could have seen a couple of cool ideas for helping Master get around Underworld. We already know that they have some sort of system that the prisoners are chained to up in the ceiling we could have had this sort of hanging track system and master is going around in some sort of chair that he can raise and lower with ropes and move around underworld that way be kind of like a baron harkonnen thing from dune except this is with pulleys and little motors and things that's exactly what i was picturing in my head the other day i saw a video like a sales video like you know a commercial right right a sales video an ad yeah <laughs> for <laughs> a sling that you use to move a patient from like a wheelchair to the bed, mm -hmm. something like that. But it is hanging from a track on the ceiling mm. so that you could move them from the bed all the way to the bathroom without having to put them in the wheelchair in the middle, that nice. kind of thing. And the tracks... Like train tracks can switch. Mm -hmm. So you can have a track that heads to the bathroom, but you can also have a track that heads to the kitchen and a track that heads to the living room so that they have access to the entire house more simply than getting them in and out of a wheelchair all the time. Yeah, I imagine if Master never had Blaster and had to work in Underworld, he probably could have thought up something like that Yeah, and implemented it. It's just he never had to because he always had Blaster around. Right. You know, that makes me wonder. I don't think we've ever asked this question before, but who engineered the prisoner's chain system? Mm. Probably Master. He seems to be the only one with any kind of scientific or engineering knowledge or ability. Yeah. So he probably created that and had it built. He's definitely the creative sort, the creative engineer. Yes. Like, Auntie is intelligent and aspirational and political master also political and aspirational but with more of a mechanical edge to him mm -hmm. i imagine if <laughs> things had shaken out differently master probably could have eventually invented himself a better mobility solution but right. that exists in a version of the movie that does not exist right so <laughs> it is what it is as i was looking up information about the macaque monkey and I think Sally Ann is more specifically a rhesus macaque monkey. That's R-H-E-S-U-S, -S, rhesus. Not like the candy, but like the monkey. 
Anyway, it turns out nearly all, meaning 73 to 100% of pet and captive rhesus macaques are carriers of the herpes B virus. The virus is harmless to macaques, but infections of humans, while rare, are potentially fatal, a risk that makes macaques unsuitable as pets. Someone should probably tell Pig Killer and Max, because I'm pretty sure herpes B is the last thing you want in the wasteland. Well, I'm pretty sure that Pig Killer is already or soon to be riddled with disease. Yeah. So I'm not sure that it matters. <laughs> and I'm not sure that Max cares whether he lives or dies. I think Max is too stubborn to die from a virus. Yes. <laughs> I think we've mentioned this before way back in the beginning. The fact that he hasn't died from infection before now mm -hmm. is miraculous. Well, it goes back to his fey heritage. Like Max himself said, he's a fairy princess. <laughs> so Pig Killer drops Sally Ann into this pipe with a flask of water tied around her waist. I've said that before in this minute, but we can assume that Pig Killer is doing so because he assumes, there's a lot of assumptions going on, that Sally Ann is going to be able to find Max. It is a really big job though. Now, Pig Killer wasn't there when Max was sent out to Gulag, so he probably wasn't sure exactly what he was writing, but... Does he even know what Gulag is? Exactly. He doesn't get to watch the condemned go out into the nothing, so... Yeah, and including Max, there have been 33 Gulag victims. So it's actually a pretty good chance that Pig Killer has witnessed one in the past. So yeah. actually, he probably does know. Okay. But is it always on a horse? That's yeah. a lot of horses. The novelization does specify that it's an old broken down horse. But do they really have 33 old broken down horses? Well, they probably had. <laughs> That's just a lot of horses. It's being a poor enough condition that you don't mind getting rid of it. Yeah. Well, someone in the wasteland has got to be out breeding horses. Because we've seen a fair amount in this movie already. True. And maybe they're not very good at it. So maybe a lot of their horses end up being weak and Could broken be. down and near death anyway. So what's the <laughs> point? Use them for the gulag. Yeah. I don't think I want to get too deep into the preposterous nature of Pig Killer expecting Sally Ann to catch up to Max on this horse because there's plenty of time to talk about that in later minutes. Oh yeah, we can <laughs> obsess over that later. <laughs> in fact, obsessing over that might be the thing that gets us through Wednesday's minute, but that's beside the point. <laughs> we get a couple of shots here in the tail end of this minute, the last eight to 10 seconds or so of just Sally Ann scurrying through the pipe system of Underworld and eventually making her way outside. I wrote down in my notes that it's lucky for the story that Sally is an adept at navigating large pipes and easily finds her way out. But what I'm guessing is that she probably followed the scent of fresh air. Oh yeah, I think it'd be pretty easy to find your way out of the pipe. There may not be any offshoots. That's a good point. It might all go to the same place. Yeah. Plus, between the fresh outside air and a literal pigsty, I think the fresh air is going to be overwhelmingly obvious where it's coming from. Yeah. Very, very easy to follow, even for our weak and pathetic human noses. <laughs> so for Sally Ann, no problem at right. all. So we're pretty much at the end of this minute. I feel like this week might have a couple of short episodes to it just because it's our week of wandering around in the sand. <laughs> it's that phase of George Miller movies where time passes and things slow down. Right. We've had a couple of verse chorus pairings and now we are in the bridge. <laughs> it's a guitar solo that probably isn't 
that great. I won't let you comment on guitar solos because you don't like any guitar solos, but that's an entirely different thing. So I'm just going to say that this upcoming Wednesday, next episode, we're going to have Sally Ann embarking on her noble mission to deliver water to Max wherever he may be out in the desert. We're going to see Max's horse succumb to exhaustion and Max will seize upon his chance to free himself from his bonds. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us from at 43 beyond thunderdome we'll see you next time Everybody say-